0: Here's nine things I wish I would have known before hiking the you went to Highline Trail, the last one being the most critical. Number one is you're going to go much slower than you actually think you're going to go on this trail. This trail is not a regular basically through hiking trail. It's not a manicured trail where there's bridges built across things and all the rocks are removed and it's just nice flat trail. No, this trail is rocky as f- and actually the most challenging 100 miles of hiking I've actually ever personally done. Now, most of this is due to the fact that there's a ton of rocks on the trail, your feet are always gonna be wet, and the altitude. So be aware of this when you are planning out your itinerary and don't be frustrated that you're not pulling huge mileage days because it's just not the way this trail really works. Now, number two is to wear cushier shoes. Now I wore ultra Lone Peaks for this particular hike and that was a bad move. The reason was because there's not a lot of cushion between the shoe and the rocks when you are actually hiking. And due to there being so many jagged rocks and just rocks throughout this entire trail, my feet were incredibly sore by the end of the day. What I wish I would have wore instead were my Ultra Timps. However, these were new shoes. And as you'll hear in number three, might not have been the best move because they're gonna be completely thrashed by the end of this hike. But if you're wanting to really take care of your feet, I really think a cushier shoe, something like a Hoka Speedgoat or something like that is going to do really, really well on a trail like this. And is something I really wish I would have had. Number three is do not bother drying your feet during the day because they are never going to be dry for more than an hour at a time. Now, I went and did the the Uinta Highline after one of Utah's highest snow years, so this could be a little bit different on a low snow year, especially later in the season. Because there are so many bogs and places where you actually just have to get your feet wet in streams... Drying your feet during the day is really not an effective method and will probably end up slowing you down. I would take multiple breaks so I could go and dry my feet, only after a half an hour of putting on dry socks, getting them wet yet again. So it was really a huge waste of time for me. What I could say with this is, do rotate your socks at every break, and always have multiple pairs of socks, one drying on your pack at a time, and then you're wearing another one. But you really are not gonna have dry feet at all on this trail, which is gonna be really critical that you don't get something like trench foot or anything. So make sure that you are drying the heck out of your feet when you are in camp. Number four is that this is a true solo hike if that is something you are looking for. I went into this hike solo and I knew that there would not be that many people on trail, but I was actually very surprised by how little people I saw at all on the trail. I thought maybe I would see some through hikers coming the opposite way. I thought maybe that I would link up with some through hikers going my way. I hiked with nobody for five and a half days and the only time that I hiked with someone was on the very last day and that was for half of the day. And I think that is just very common for the Uinta Highline because it is super super isolated. The drive out there is isolated. It takes a long time if you're coming in on a feeder trail to even get to the highline. There's not a lot of margin for error if you don't pack enough food or if you get hurt. But if you are after a really authentic solo hike, this is going to be your ticket. Number five is that GPX routes on the maps that you have are going to be frequently off. This trail is super interesting because in a lot of the parks and meadows, people will just kind of wander around and then try to rejoin the trail. So if you're following a GPX track of somebody that does that, it might be kind of showing you off of a different way, but the trail is actually here. And so it it can be kind of confusing. The one thing with this trail too is that you're gonna be on your phone constantly navigating. And so one thing that I would recommend doing is actually getting a GPS watch and navigating from your watch. It makes it a little bit easier so you don't have to keep pulling out your phone every time that you get lost because you are gonna get lost on this trail. You shouldn't get totally, totally lost, but you probably will lose the trail a few times for sure. And having multiple maps on there, showing where the high line is, will help you figure out where to go when you do get lost. Before getting into the next one, if you're enjoying this video and find it helpful, please at least just leave a like on the video and subscribe if you want to. Number six is I would not recommend cowboy camping on this trail. I thought about cowboy camping on this trail and every time that I did, it actually rained at night. Every night there was some kind of storm, there was some kind of precipitation, it was super windy. Some kind of front would always move in at night, which is really not typical of a lot of the mountain environments that I've backpacked in in the past. I would probably bring a tarp or at the very least a tent. And you are gonna want these things anyways just because the mosquitoes are so atrocious as well. Number seven, Dead Horse Pass. Something that I wish I would have known about Dead Horse Pass was that it was a lot easier than what everyone else made it out to be. There was a lot of fear mongering, especially with the high snow year that I went. Dead Horse Pass was not a problem at all. What I would relate it to is hiking like a class three 14 or maybe not even a class three, like a class two to three if you're scared of heights, I guess it might be kind of scary and there's some loose scree, but as long as you stay on the trail, like it's really not that big of an issue and not something that you need to be that fearful about. I was laying in my tent the night before and I was like kind of scared about getting over this thing the next day, mostly because I thought I had to possibly go over a big snow drift, but that wasn't the case. I wouldn't give that much of your bandwidth to worrying about Dead Horse Pass. Okay, number eight is that the miles between dead horse pass and rocky sea pass are absolutely atrocious after you summit dead horse pass you kind of believe that all the hardest parts of the uenta highline are over but as most great summits of the world there's always that last push that just absolutely sucks and this is the same with the uenta highline now as you can see here on my phone there's two different ways that you can actually get to Rocky Sea Pass. All trails recommends you go up and around, whereas the actual U.H.T. Highline bisects that and goes straight to Rocky Sea Pass. Now, looking at the map, we were kind of wondering what to do because if you go up and around, the All Trails way, it's more miles, but it's less vert, whereas UHT is just more vert, but less miles. We missed the UHT cutoff because that's what we were gonna take, and we actually took a center trail called Jack and Jill Trail. This was absolutely atrocious because the, the trail was basically annihilated because of the giant fire that is all in that area. And we spent hours in this blowdown and mosquito-infested area trying to find the trail and just make our way over to Rocky Sea Pass. This was probably the hardest and most frustrating part of the trail, honestly, because of all the blowdown, the thick brush, the mosquitoes, and it being hot. I posted this on my podcast about the Uinta High Line, and someone actually commented and said that there really is no good way to get from Dead Horse to Rocky Sea Pass. So this is going to be something that you're going to have to choose your own adventure on, but just know and be prepared mentally that this is really going to be a crappy few miles of trail and you're just going to have to deal with the blowdown and the mosquitoes and everything like that, but allow a little extra time if that's going to be your last day on trail. Now, the most important part you should probably know if you're going to be doing you into highline trail is. I would totally recommend just skipping the first 24 miles of trail not starting at mckee pass and instead starting at lady peak most people that do the you highline trail actually do this and the reason is because the first 24 miles is very very subpar trail a lot of times you're gonna be losing the trail it's mosquito infested there's no views it's really wet and there's a 16 mile dry section now for me or for people like me you're gonna to want to start at mckee pass just because you want to complete the entire you Went to highline trail and it would really bug you if you didn't do that. But for people that aren't in that mindset and you just want to enjoy some good trail, start at Lady Peak because that's where the views actually started getting really good. If you want to watch a documentary of my time on the you Went to highline trail, click here. Thank you for watching. We'll see you for the next one.